This Easter morning, as they gathered, as they experienced him, as they witnessed the greatest miracle in the history of the world, something changed for all of us. See, that Friday when he suffered and he died, he died to conquer death. And in his conquering of death and his rising to life, he died to give life to all. So for you and I, in our pain, in our sorrow, our hope is that there will come a day when we see those whom we lost again. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. He is risen. Isn't that fun? What if you just greeted people like that on the street every day? How weird would that be? (laughs) Kind of awesome. You're right. Well, welcome. My name is Adam, and I'm the pastor here at The Point. For those of you joining us online or in person for the first time, it is so good to meet you, to be here with you, and to be able to worship. It's especially good, in my opinion, since this time last year, we weren't able to be in person at all, and everything was only online. And I'm so thankful that now we can do both, online and in person. You may have seen earlier in the video these new Connect cards. If you'll take a moment today and fill one out, we want to connect with you during the week, not just here on Sunday morning. We want to celebrate this resurrection uh, for days and weeks and hopefully years to come. So if you fill one out, you can even let us know on the backside how we can pray for you. Uh, We'd love to be praying for you each and every day. Um, And if it's your first time here with us or first time filling one of these out ever, uh, we'll actually donate on your behalf $5 to the community just to say thank you for filling it out and we want to help make a difference. You can do this online also at thepointknox.com. Now with that, we get into today's message. And you would think for a pastor, Easter is like the easiest thing to preach, right? Because, I mean, isn't that what it's all about? It's all about Jesus rising from the dead. So how hard can it be to talk about Easter? And yet, I find myself sometimes reading this story of the resurrection, and I forget that it's more than a story. I read it, I've heard it so many times, I'm familiar enough with it that it's almost like, oh yeah, of course that happened, but what about today? I know that's a thing, but who cares right now? As we read this story, it's my hope and my prayer that for you and me today, it would be far more than just a thing that happened or a story we read about. But our very living hope, our reality, not just for this hour each year as we celebrate that he is risen, 
Almost caught you off guard there. Not only as we celebrate that, but it's my hope that this would become the very thing that moves us tomorrow and Tuesday and every day for the rest of our lives. That this would be as real and as personal as it was to the very people on that first Easter morning. But before we get there, let's back up a little bit. We've been over the last couple weeks in this series called Weep No More. And we've been looking at the reality of grief in our world. The pain of loss, sometimes that loss is small things and sometimes significant relationships completely torn apart. People that are sick and dying or even worse that have already died. And grief is a thing that we as Christians are sometimes told to just ignore. Well, Jesus makes it better. You should move on, get over it, be better now. But we believe in this place that grief is really healthy and healing. And when we engage with our grief and we embrace our pain and we look at our sorrow with honesty, it's only in that place that we can find hope to one day weep no more. I haven't spent a lot of time in my life around death. Thankfully, I haven't lost a lot of people in my immediate family just yet. But I did when I was younger, uh, several years ago, I did work at a nursing home as a CNA. That's a certified nursing assistant. And technically, my job was to help with whatever needed. Most of the time, my job as a CNA just included things like uh, changing bed sheets and pushing people to and from bingo and helping them eat at, at dinner time. But every now and then, my job included something far more difficult. There was a woman, Miss Sand, I won't ever forget her name. And I remember one Friday night, about 10, 15 minutes before the end of my shift, I was worn out and exhausted, and I went into her room because she had buzzed for some help. And she was one of the great clients, one of the residents who was really easy and always friendly and relatively healthy, and so I was excited to go into her room. And I walked in to see how I could help her, and, and I noticed something I'd never seen before. On the wall hanging there was a portrait, like a hand-sketched portrait with hundreds of people on it. And I said, what's this? She said, well, that's all my family. How come I've never seen any of them? They don't live near here. She goes, can I tell you all about them? I said, I would love to. My shift's almost ending. Can I come back on Monday and you can tell me about every one of them? She said, yeah, that would be great. And on Sunday night, out of nowhere, mostly healthy, she died. And I never got to hear about all those people in that portrait. And that time I wasn't there when she died, but there were other times when I was. In my job as a, as a nursing assistant was more than just brushing teeth and helping people to the bathroom. There were times after somebody died where it was my job to go in and to begin to prepare them for the mortuary, to prepare them for death, to help them be ready there were times when I sat as they breathed their last, holding their hand. As a young 18-year-old, you can imagine just how hard some of that was. How unprepared I felt every single time they breathed their last and they died. And then it was my job, sometimes for 10 minutes and sometimes for an hour, to clean them up and prepare them and close their eyes so that when the mortuary could take them away, they'd be ready to be prepared for burial. 
And it was such a weird thing to do preparing people to die. You see, sometimes it was really heavy and really hard. Sometimes I sat there not knowing really what to do and I thought, how am I to continue each day caring for these people that I know sooner than later will die? And other times, it was really quite an honor. You see, if you've never been able to care for somebody after they've died, to help prepare them for burial, it's a weird thing. Because in one sense, it's sad and it's heavy and it's exhausting. And on another sense, you get to be the very last person to honor them, to give them dignity, to celebrate their life, even as you look upon their lifeless body. And it was such a weird thing to live in both this place of grief and this responsibility to care for those who had died. In our culture today, that's really strange. Most of us will never in our life have the responsibility of caring for somebody immediately after death. For most of history, that's not the way things worked. For most of history, immediately after death, it was the family's responsibility, and then it extended beyond the family to the church family's responsibility to come alongside those who are living, to prepare those who are dead, and to grieve. And that process of preparing their body gave them honor and dignity and respect. And in that process, something happened. There are often stories shared and moments and experiences and memories recounted. And that person who's there before you dead for at least a little while longer was alive in your memories, your conversation, and your stories. Up until about 150 years ago, this is how every person died, with family and the church caring for them. The story we're going to read today picks up right there. With women who had gone to prepare Jesus after he had died. See, if you remember the story on Friday when he had died, they quickly hurried to take him down from the cross and put him in a tomb before the Sabbath came. The law said you weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath and preparing the dead for burial was considered work. So they buried him with the intention of coming back after the Sabbath on Sunday to prepare him to be dead. You see, we bury people now in coffins that are often surrounded in concrete and and they're embalmed and we forget that bodies decompose and decay, or at least they're supposed to. But for them, they buried people in tombs, usually carved out of stone, and they would be tombs that would be used for entire families. And so if you were the first person to die, they would lay you out on a bed that was there and they would wrap you in spices, up to 70 pounds of spices to help cover your body and mask some of the smell of death. Because eventually when somebody else in the same family died, they would come in and they would gather your remains and they'd move them neatly off to the side into a little spot that was just for you and the new person who's dead would take that spot. So the whole family eventually would be buried together in the same tomb and then it would be sealed after that. Jesus being the first one in this tomb and them hurriedly putting him there before they could prepare him, they needed to to prepare him with spices. This is where we pick up. 
chapter 24 of the book of Luke. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. These were the women, uh, Mary and a few others. He names them later. All the gospels recount it was women who met Jesus first on the resurrection. These women go, and I imagine as they're going, they're grieving. If you've ever been to a cemetery where you recently buried somebody, you may know that pain. You're going for those flowers or that memorial or one more moment to try to love those that are no more. They go with this grief and they go with this pain and they go with this purpose. We want to give honor to this one we thought was God, but he must have just been a prophet. To the one we thought was everything, but maybe he wasn't, we want to celebrate him one last time as we grieve. I'm a bit of a nerd. Anybody in here a nerd? Okay, a bunch of you are closet nerds, not willing to honor or admit it, that's fine. Uh, As a nerd, I really like Marvel, and I like the Marvel Universe and comics and stuff like that. And I was recently watching WandaVision on Disney+, and if you haven't seen it, there's this line that was quoted all over the internet. See, Wanda is grieving the death of her brother. No spoilers here, don't worry. And as she's grieving the death of her brother, her friend Vision, who's an artificial intelligence that's come to life, he doesn't actually know what feelings are like and emotions are, he tries to comfort her. He says, do you want to talk about it? And and before I get to her response, there's a line that's been all over the internet that he says later. He's describing the reality that he's never had anyone to lose, so he doesn't know what it means or what it feels like to have loss. And because he's never had anybody to lose, he says, grief, perhaps, is just love persevering. It's because we have this great pain, this great love that is missing, we can still feel this pain of what's no longer here. It's our love for that person that causes that grief. Well, when he asks if she wants to talk about her pain, Wanda responds, and she says this, She says, why do you think talking would bring me comfort? The only thing that will bring me comfort is to see him again. And then she continues to describe her pain like a wave that is crashing over her. And every time it crashes, she stands back up and then it comes again and knocks her down. And she's afraid with her pain that she's going to drown. The internet latched on to that last little bit. Perhaps grief is just love persevering. But I wonder if perhaps her emotion in that moment is what we need to focus on. These ladies, they go to the tomb grieving. A loss that they can't explain, a pain that is deep within. But they find something altogether different. Verse two, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Now it's important to note two men, which we later find out are angels, are standing there because in scripture, anything that is true must be proven or attested to by two witnesses. In order for it to be true, there has to be two who see it or say it or declare this to be true. Here come these two men. 
And these ladies, perplexed that the loved one they have come to grieve is no longer there, they look at him, or these men, and says this, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day, rise. These two men declare that the one you're grieving, he's not here. He's no longer dead, just as he promised he is risen. He is risen me. Cool, you're still awake. I like that. Just as he promised, he's alive again. So, of course, like every one of us, these women left excited. Of course he's alive. That makes sense, right? Because how many times have you gone to a cemetery and the dead were alive again? So they leave. They remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. These women come running back from the tomb. You won't believe it. Jesus is risen. And they're like, you're right. We don't believe it. Of course he's not risen. What do you mean he's risen? Nobody rises from the dead. Now they had seen Lazarus rise from the dead and a couple others, but the reality is every other person in history, the handful previously who had died and risen back to life, eventually died again. Now these women come running and say, Jesus is alive and all the men question it. As a brief aside, not related to grief, anybody who tells you that women in the Bible are underplayed and not valued, they just don't understand the Bible. Because it's by no accident that every gospel records women as the first ones experiencing Jesus after he rises. And it's by no accident that it's women who go and tell the world of this good news. And by no accident that women are some of the first evangelists in scripture. But just know that, all right? So then Peter, God bless him. Bless his heart, as they say here, right? <laughs> Peter doesn't believe this good news. Of course Jesus isn't risen. Also, <laughs> I wasn't even thinking of that one. Good, good catch, right? Peter's like, I, of course he's still dead. Like, we know there's no way he's alive. Not a chance. And I wonder if part of Peter's, like, I need to find him was, uh-oh. If he's alive, I'm in trouble. Like, you guys know how Peter denied Jesus, right? So Peter, he takes off running. It says in verse 12, and Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Of course, Peter can't believe the women. No, he's got to prove it for himself. I can, I can figure this out. The story continues here in this chapter. You're welcome to read it later if you'd like. And as it continues, two of the disciples, whom we don't entirely know which two, they're walking along a road for a seven-mile journey. And Jesus shows up to them. Now, next time you go to a cemetery to grieve somebody that you've lost, if they show up next to you, how will you respond? Jesus shows up next to these guys. He's like, hey, guys, what are you talking about? And I just wonder that look on Jesus' face like, surprise, 
You know, he shows up and they're totally blind. They don't see it. They don't recognize this is the very one they're talking about. And they begin to recount to him. Are you the only one who has no idea what's happened? Are you really this clueless? Think of the irony there, right? Are you really this clueless? Haven't you heard of Jesus of Nazareth and how he was this prophet? And then some Jews, they took him and they killed him. And, and now these women are saying he's alive. And that's just crazy. And Jesus begins perhaps the greatest Bible study ever. He begins to unpack all of scripture from the beginning until that very moment, revealing all the way along just who he was and what he'd do. And they still don't get it. See, I think there's a reality that sometimes in our grief, we're blinded to the present hope. Sometimes in our pain, we're blinded to the very thing right in front of us. We're so overwhelmed with what was, we can't see what will be. And these men, they don't get it. But then Jesus, he, it says he acted like he was gonna go on further. They get to their destination, it's like, all right, see you later. No, 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 Jesus, it's way too late. You gotta stay here. They don't know it's Jesus. So, hey, stranger, just stay here and eat some food with us. He says, okay. So he goes into the room and he begins to eat. And he does something remarkable. He takes bread and he breaks it after blessing it and he gives it to them to eat. And suddenly their eyes are opened. We've seen this before. Is that you, Jesus? We've seen this breaking of bread before, this blessing in this meal. We know you're here. And just because he could, in that moment when they realize it's Jesus, Jesus disappears out of thin air like that. What? You and I, we don't get the joy of seeing Jesus in the flesh with us here in our times of trouble or pain. But in the breaking of bread, when we come together on those weeks to gather and celebrate communion, there he is for us. And it's in the breaking of the bread and the eating and the drinking that we experience him today. Still the risen savior for us. Then it goes on, it says this in verse 33. After Jesus disappears into thin air, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. A seven mile walk, mind you. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Now these men, confident in the breaking of bread, Jesus surely is alive. They go running back to tell others, trust us, he's actually alive. This is so incredible. Everything changes. You and I live with grief. And as Easter is here, and even as it comes and goes, there will be times when our grief is sometimes insurmountable. When we look and our pain blinds us to the reality of what God is doing, we find ourselves overwhelmed, feeling like we're going to drown in this sorrow. Like what Wanda said, the only thing that'll bring us hope is to see the one we love again. The only thing that will bring us hope is again to see them with us forever. This Easter morning as they gathered, as they experienced him, as they witnessed the greatest miracle in the history of the world, something changed for all of us. See that Friday when he suffered and he died, 
He died to conquer death. And in his conquering of death and his rising to life, he died to give life to all. And so for you and I, in our pain, in our sorrow, our hope is that there will come a day when we see those whom we lost again. Those whom we love, the pain that persists, there will come a day when we will again hold them and hug them and laugh with them and rejoice and all of our sadness will turn to laughter and things will one day again be just right. Not only this, the very Jesus who conquered the grave promised he's coming again. The one whom we love, whom we miss, who we wish was with us in the flesh every day to answer our questions and to grieve when we grieve, to be there in all things. He's promised he's coming soon. And when he does, all of our tears will be wiped away and our pain will be no more. And so Paul writes in the book of 1 Thessalonians, he writes this, when we grieve, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep. Language in the Bible often for those who have died. That you may not grieve as others who have no hope. See, when you and I grieve in Jesus because of the Easter story, because of the resurrection, because he is alive, all of this changes our grief. So we can be real and honest and say, this sucks. But there's coming a day when Christ will return. There's coming a day when my loved ones will be with me face to face and we will see them again. There's coming a day when this pain will not define me. And so we hope against all odds when the world tells us not to. We hope to say someday this will be made right. And that's enough for strength today to stand one more time and face yet another wave of whatever the world may throw. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your son to suffer and die, that he did not remain dead, but he conquered the grave. We thank you that you have risen from the dead to give us new life. Teach us, Lord, to trust in that life, to hope in that life, to bring all of our pain and our sorrow and our grief before you, the God who helps us weep no more, who wipes away every tear, who can bear all our pain, who has suffered that in our suffering we might find you and find hope and teach us to live this Easter story today and tomorrow and every day for you are risen indeed and this is great news. Amen. There's a promise in Romans that says this, when we've been baptized, we were baptized into his death. And then it goes on and says, and if we've died with Christ, we certainly will rise with Christ. Our hope is that because of what he's done, life everlasting is for all of us. And that life comforts us now when we grieve and gives us hope for what's to come later. As we continue our worship, we're going to collect an offering. 
Uh, if you would like during this song, you're welcome to take physical offering, cash or check. Back into the corners, we've got popcorn buckets, a little ode to where we've been before. You can take the cash or check back there or you can give online at thepointknocks.com. Uh, if you choose to join us in giving today, however you give and whatever you give, know this. We give not to get God's love, but because we already have it. With that, will you stand and join me in, in singing this next song? Now we're going to take a few minutes to respond to the questions that you texted in. And so I'll do my best. And any question I don't have an answer to, which happens a lot, uh, we'll do some research and get back to you later in the week, either on a Wednesday on Facebook or next week Sunday. Absolutely. Um, we've got a good chunk of questions. Um, and we had some at the last service too. So if you're curious, it's online. Um, first... Happy Easter, church. Johan sends his love and can't wait to see everyone again. Oh, and he is risen. <laughs> we love you, Johan. Happy Easter. Can't wait to see you soon. Um, okay, next question we actually got on Good Friday. It says, why is Good Friday called Good Friday when there's a lot of doom and death in it for Jesus? Why do we call it Good Friday when he was crucified, beaten, and so on? Yeah, it certainly wasn't good for him uh, in the moment in that all that pain and sorrow and suffering was pretty brutal and extreme. But we call it Good Friday because for you and I, his sorrow and suffering and pain is really good news for us because we deserved death as a result of our sin, but he, not under compulsion, but willingly by his own love, suffered for us so that we in turn can be freed and saved. So it's uh, pretty terrible for him, but really great for us, uh, which makes it pretty good. Absolutely. Um, next question. Jesus consistently referred to himself as the son of man, even though he was not the son of Joseph or any man. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is also repeatedly called the son of man in his vision. So what's up with that duplicity and overlap? Yeah, so in Ezekiel, uh, God prophesies of the one who's going to come, who's going to bring this uh, healing, this savior, the one that they're looking forward to. And he calls him the son of man, referring to the one who comes will take the place of all people, be the one who fills in for all mankind. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, rather than just being like, hey guys, I'm the Messiah, he embraces this term, son of man, and says, look, I'm the one you've been looking for, the hope and the healing and everything you've been expecting, you're finding in me. Um, so it's a little subtle way of saying, I'm all the things you've been looking forward to and also so much more. That's, uh, I'm everything you've been looking for. <laughs> I am everything for you. All right. Uh, speaking of Joseph, uh, this may be a silly question. There are no silly questions. You're always invited to all the questions. Just silly people. But that's um, okay. We love that. But where was Joseph during Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection? We hear about Mary, but I don't think I've ever heard about Joseph. We have no idea. He kind of drops off the radar. Uh, after Jesus is 12, we don't know anything outside of that about Joseph's life. And even in history textbooks that do write about Jesus and his life, um, even non-Christian history, uh, they don't really say anything about Joseph. So I have no idea. Good answer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if the Garden of Eden was a place, could we find it? No. Okay. And here's why. All right. <laughs> uh, 
God, when he, he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, uh, the reason for it was so that they didn't go eat of the tree of life. You see, they were in a place of shame and nakedness and brokenness as a result of their sinfulness. And God didn't want them to live in that pain forever. So by kicking them out of the garden, they couldn't eat from the tree of life and be stuck in that place of brokenness forever. Instead, they would experience death And there would come a day when death would be defeated by Jesus, Easter, right? That's why we're here. And then it says in Revelation that this tree of life is there in the end so that one day after this healing and after the renewal and after all of that, then we can have life everlasting no longer in our brokenness. So I think if it still exists, it may have been destroyed in the flood. I don't know, it was a garden. If it still exists, we won't find it. And if we do, God will keep us out of it for our own sake, so... That's very interesting. Um, Okay, next question. Who is Mary Magdalene to Jesus and why was she there? A good friend, a dear friend. We see Mary Magdalene is a woman that Jesus, uh, he cares for. He he brings her healing. He forgives her. Uh, She was a woman often outcast and shamed. And so Jesus' very interactions with her make it something special because... uh, Jewish people weren't supposed to interact with those lowly sinners and uh, especially good uh, godly Jewish people. And so some people today speculate that maybe they were in a romantic relationship. There's zero evidence of that. And any evidence that you find is very much fabricated. It's not true. Um, Not because I don't want it to be true, but because we can prove it's not true. So uh, just a dear friend. And what was she doing there? I don't know. She lost a dear friend. I'd go to the cemetery to visit too. Absolutely. Um, Okay. Why did they not recognize Jesus, those guys? Um, what, those guys? Okay. Uh, hey, you guys. You know, was it a product of grief or something mystical? Well, it's quite possible both. In fact, the text actually says that they were kept from recognizing him. So perhaps it was so that all of scripture could be taught and revealed and they would understand how this isn't just something new, but the fulfillment of everything God's been promising. Perhaps it was their grief. Um, perhaps there's something else. I don't know. But... Yes, it could be all of the above. Awesome. Okay, last question, and then we have one comment. So when Jesus comes back and judges the living and the dead, what happens to those who were bad, like really bad, or never accepted him in their heart? Yeah, that's the unfortunate reality. There is a truth called hell, a place we don't want to talk about and think about. And uh, it's not where God is eager to send people who suffer and who he doesn't like and he wants to punish them. In fact, in Matthew, it says that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't made for you and me. But our God is also really gracious. He's not going to force us like Stockholm Syndrome to love him or else. So he gives us his choice. I will be everything you need and want and hope for and more. And if you don't want that, that's okay. You don't have to have that. But life without God is incredibly empty and there's nothing about life without him. And so hell exists. So what happens when he comes back to judge the living and the dead? Well, we'll, we're judged not according to our works, but according to Christ. Unless we say, I want to do it on my own, I don't want what Christ has done, then we're judged according to our works. And who of us can stand? Not me. Um, Speaking of not being judged by our works, I lied. Uh, in, loved. in church, cool. Uh, there was one more question. On camera. Um, could we think of Christ as the tree of life present in communion elements? Certainly possible. I mean, uh, I find it really interesting that in the beginning there's a tree of life and in the end there's a tree of life and in the middle life himself hangs on a tree. 
uh, cursed for you and me. And so, yes, uh, it is in the very body and blood of Jesus when we gather and we eat and we drink that we receive him and his life to strengthen us each week in our faith. This is why after communion we say, uh, may this, the very body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen and preserve you in faith so that you can go filled with everything you need for what the world will throw at you. Nice. Awesome questions. Okay, one, one comment was texted in. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Well done. <laughs> well, church, as you go this week, go with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person Every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., we pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.